Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs radio show, where we highlight everyone from the top industry leaders to startups and farmers that make it all possible with Chef Jean Blom and photojournalist Amaris Pollock. And welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. And I am very happy to introduce all of you to somebody who has traveled the globe um, over her years of, of, you know, being an adult. Actually, even when you were a teenager, I think you started. But and you are the author of not one but two books. The second one, I think, is going to be released relatively soon. Uh, Karen Gershowitz. Karen, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. I'm delighted to be here, and actually, it was released last week, uh, <laughs> so it's it is available now. Congratulations! So, um, tell our listeners a little bit about your history because you really do have quite a lengthy history in um, traveling. Yeah, I started at age 17, and I don't want to give away my age too much, although I don't really care. But let's put it this way: that was many decades ago, <laughs> and. I um, I left home, went to Europe um, initially to study art, which is what I ended up doing, and that be- I ended up staying there for three years, and that began my love affair with travel, and I became a self-described travel addict, and since then I have been to ninety-five countries, and many of them many many times, because I managed to get work that paid for me to travel. I mean, I really tried to do that. And um, as a result, I really did travel the globe. And when I was traveling for business, I got to go to five-star restaurants and Michelin restaurants and, you know, really top end. And when I was on my own, I would be eating street food. So I've eaten the entire gamut. Um, but, you know, so it's it's been a long history of being very adventurous in both travel and eating when traveling and eat it. I live in New York City, so and eating in New York City, which has got just about every cuisine you can think of. Yeah. I mean, New York City is a hub of so much because back in the day, like everybody was, you know, where you came into port, like that's where it was. And so a lot of people, you know, way back when, um, remained there. So we have this hub of just so many different cuisines and cultures and um, flavors. And it's just, it's such a wonderful, you know, area to visit too, because there's a lot to do. Oh, yeah. But not in the sense of like what you did. Like you literally have traveled the globe. And I'm sure that, you know, like I have a small like understanding, but I feel like there's, you know, numerous places out there that like I wouldn't know about, but you probably came across it and like found an interest. Um, I I think it was either in your first chapter or your foreword that um, you had mentioned that you have like lists and then backup lists (laughs) for for traveling. Um, And I, I cannot imagine some of the stuff, the cultures and the cuisines and just everything that you've been exposed to throughout your your years of travel? Well, part of what you learn is that everybody eats what they think. Well, first of all, they eat what is local to them. That's yeah. the very first thing. You know, then they expand out from there. 
And in some parts of the world, you know, the food they eat to my palate is almost inedible, as is, I would assume, Western food to them. Um, and in other parts of the world, it's like, you can't feed me anything that I don't find wonderful. I mean, I, when I was in Vietnam and I was eating street food and I was eating in really fabulous restaurants, I didn't have a bad meal the entire time. <laughs> food was phenomenal. Um, similarly, you know, if you go to Thailand, you know, you, a lot of the Asian countries just have cuisines that are beyond fabulous. Um, and then, you know, in, in places in, in Africa, not so much. Um, I had a couple of, let us say, less than wonderful meals, one of which was a mistake. It's kind of a funny story. It, I was as long on, as it's kosher, we can I'd like. Oh, yeah, it's kosher. <laughs> it's kosher, but it's very funny. I was traveling, um, I was on a safari in Tanzania prior to, I might add, climbing Kilimanjaro. But the the chefs were um, Tanzanian and the tour guides were both British, which is not exactly, and this was in the early 80s, not exactly known for their culinary prowess. And they had told the chefs what to make for dinner. We came back from safari and we heard the shriek. And I was like, oh God, what was that? You know, we thought an animal had come in. No, when we went to dinner and it turned out that the chefs who did not understand Western food at all, <laughs> and there was no reason they should, had combined what was supposed to be an appetizer, main course and dessert. So in a single bowl, we had salad, <laughs> things of salad, um, not fresh, but salad <clears throat> stuff, noodles, sardines, Pinned fruit, sprinkled, poured over uh, evaporated milk with the sardine oil drizzled on top. <laughs> yeah, you get the idea. I and, was like, you could almost get away with it if it wasn't for the evaporated milk. <laughs> almost. <laughs> almost, you know, and the, and the fruit from the, you know, they had fruit, um, tinned fruit and fruit and the juice from the fruit. Oh, and, no. I yeah, mean, uh, it was just inedible. <laughs> Except that there was no other food. And, you know, it's not like you could walk down the block to a restaurant. We were out in the middle of the, the Goro Goro crater. And so we ate, you know, we were taking pieces out and kind of cleaning them off and eating them because it was either in the nowhere they were going to go shopping. So if we didn't eat that, there was nothing else. <laughs> now, is the, are some of these stories also included in the books? And by all means, plug plug your books. Both. Absolutely. Yeah, this that story is in Wanderlust, which is the second book, which is subtitled Extraordinary People, Quirky Places, and Curious Cuisine. And the curious cuisine is both the good and the bad. You just heard one of the bad ones. <laughs> um, but I can also tell you one of the good ones. I would um, love to hear one of the good ones. Yeah. Um, I will start off with my grandmother was possibly the worst baker on the planet. What she baked was inedible, and if you ate it more than about five minutes afterwards, you could break a tooth on it. Oh, no. And she she used to bake something that she called strudel, which <laughs> essentially <laughs> was, <laughs> you already get it, quarter-inch dough onto which she put apricot jam, rolled it up, and baked it, and it would ooze out and it would burn. And the stuff was horrible. Flash forward, I'm now in my 20s, and I'm in Vienna. And in Vienna, um, 
we go into a um, Cafe Mozart, which is well known as being a really wonderful pastry emporium. That's the only way to describe it. Very beautiful place. And the waiter says, you know, well, what would you like? And I'm looking at, they have a big counter with all these fabulous desserts. I don't even know where to begin. And he says, you must try the apple strudel. That's what we're known for. And of course, in my mind, I'm thinking of my grandmother's strudel. <laughs> so you're like, no, thanks. <laughs> uh, well, no, I ordered it. I thought, you know, maybe. I didn't have high hopes for it, but maybe. It came out. It was life transforming. It was the best pastry I had ever eaten in my life. <laughs> it, you know, absolutely paper thin dough that was light and flaky and wonderful. And the apples were spiced perfectly. And it was just phenomenal. And, and you know, for me, it was revelatory. It was like, oh, my God, you know, I, got, I, I need to rethink a lot of foods based on what my family was serving because what they were serving and what the rest of the world describes it as are two very different things. So it was, uh, you know, that was that's kind of the opposite end of it. And there's everything in between. Um, the first book, which is doesn't exactly focus on food, and that one's Travel Mania, Stories of Wanderlust, does have some stories of food just because when you're traveling, how can you not talk about food? You know, it's integral to being able to see the world. Yeah. And, you know, um, one of the stories is about durian, which I had smelled for years. I've been kidding. all over Asia. And it's quite a, a smell. And, and if you're not aware of it, in the Asian markets, they segregate all the durian sellers. They put them all in one corner because the strong the it's, smell is so intense and it's so bad that no one else wants to be near them. And one day I was walking through a market and one of the sellers almost dared me to try it. <laughs> and he, you know, he didn't speak English, but you could just, it became a game. Okay, I'll try it. And I... You know, I was whole, literally holding my nose because it just <laughs> smells god awful. But when you taste it, it's got this fabulous consistency, like really pudding, like silken pudding, mm. and it actually has a good taste. But the but the scent is just god awful. I mean, in hotels in Asia, there were signs up all over the place: no stinky fruit, and everybody and knew that's what, what they meant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about the durian fruit like before on the show on a, several occasions. Um, and from every, you know, everything I've researched and stuff, I haven't actually physically, and I know I need to bite the bullet and, <laughs> and experience <laughs> it. And like, but I'm like, do I go with like a nose clip? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really, really intense smell. And the other thing that I will warn everyone against, I decided it was an okay thing to eat. And I was, can't remember where I was, but I was in some other city and they had durian ice cream. And I thought, well, maybe it won't smell so bad. And, you know, I like the taste. Oh, no. No, it, it did actually smell okay. okay. They had managed to, to get rid of the smell. The trouble <clears throat> was is that I tasted durian for the next 24 hours. It is such a strong taste. <laughs> and I was eating other things. I'm drinking water. I'm drinking tea. I couldn't get rid of the taste of durian. So it lingered on your palate. Absolutely. 
Huh. Absolutely. That's quite interesting. I'm yeah. I'm kind of glad that you're going into it. <laughs> like, I mean, I know I don't want to take away from your books um, or or your travels, your adventures, both in in food and in just culture. But I'm glad that you're going through this because I feel like not every I mean, like myself, I know of the fruit. I've never actually experienced it. Um, right. And this is a good like segue of, of like, hey, just be super, super warned. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. The other thing that I talk about in Wanderlust is one of the things that I love to do when I travel is to take cooking classes. And I've taken them all over the globe. Everything from, you know, like a two-hour class somewhere on how to make a particular thing. I took one in Mexico on how to make churros, which was great fun. <laughs> and um, tasty. To spending, yeah, and they taste fabulous, of course. <laughs> spending an entire week, which I did this spring in Tuscany, um, learning to cook Italian food in a professional Italian kitchen. And it was phenomenal. But, I, you know, I've taken classes in Korea and New Orleans, in Bali, oh, in Cartagena, which was really interesting because I was looking for a cooking class, partially because I also like to walk through markets with somebody who knows what they're looking at. I like walking through them in any event, but it's even better if you have someone who knows what they're really what's there. Yeah. Because the language barrier means that I can't really ask, you know, particularly if it's, you know, if you're in Korea or, you know, Bali, there's no way that I, they're going to explain something to me. But if you go with someone who's speaking English, they can do the translation for you. <laughs> and so, you know, I try and do cooking classes where they first take you to the market. And in Cartagena, I found one that turned out to be in this guy's private home. There were four of us. We went to the market with him, bought all the ingredients, asked him tons of questions. The sellers, because they knew him, were giving us tastes of things. <laughs> and then we went back to his home kitchen and we got to meet his family and we got to see how he lived. And so it was a real cultural experience that was food-based, but it was also getting to really understand how people lived in Cartagena, not in the tourist area, but out where normal people lived. Yeah. And it was great fun. It was just great fun. So, you know, I if, if people, you know, if you really want to have a good cultural experience when you travel, find a cooking class. Yeah. And I mean, it, it brings people together. It's kind of a universal love language because it's food. Everybody needs to eat and everyone enjoys food, the different taste sensations. I mean, barring like allergies or whatnot, but, um, you know, and, and there's foods that you're not going to like, like you came across the um, conglomerate of uh, three, oh, yeah. <laughs> three dishes, <laughs> but like, you know, I, I feel like maybe separately that would have been not so bad. <laughs> Right. That was an accident. <laughs> yeah. But um, do, do you have, because um, we have about three minutes left. Um, do you have a fun story or like a place that you would highly recommend for, you know, if somebody's looking to travel just for the food aspect? Well, everybody always says Italy. So I'm not going to say Italy, even though it's true. <clears throat> um, or France. I started out by saying that I love the food in Vietnam. I have to tell you, I did not have a bad meal there. We went to a couple of really, really fine restaurants. And, and, and I've been there twice. And the food is not expensive. 
we ordered way too much because we wanted to try everything on the menu. <laughs> um, and we, in fact, we went back to one restaurant twice because it was so phenomenal. And we realized that having ordered, you know, half of what was on the menu, the, the meal ended up costing us something like $15 a piece. And, and the food was beyond, beyond fabulous because it's really fresh and it's made with spices and, and cooking techniques that we don't use. And um, just unusual, wonderful taste. And if you think that Korean food, uh, rather um, Vietnamese food is fairly limited, trust me, it's not. It's way beyond anything we ever get in this country. Um, you know, everything from every conceivable animal that, work, that, that walks the earth <laughs> um, to every vegetable that grows. And, you know, very little dairy, but but fruits and vegetables and, and meat and you know poultry and fish in combinations that you do not anticipate and that are phenomenal. Thank you. And of course, because the French were there, you also get really, really good croissants. You know, you get fabulous pastries because they learned from the French and adapted it. Yeah. And and it's really good. <laughs> really, really good. So well, I, I will have to uh, put that on my bucket list then. But speaking of bucket lists, um, I, I am going to pick up your book, by the way. But because um, I just feel like the, with what I read, it's, it, I, it's very eloquent. It's easy to read and it's fun. So where, where can our listeners pick up your book and hear some more of those stories? Anywhere that you buy books on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, indie, indie bound. If you can't buy it online and you like your favorite bookstore, ask them, they can get it for you. Um, it is, you know, it is available just about anywhere. And that's, uh, Travel Mania, Stories of Wonderlust and Wonderlust, Extraordinary People, Quirky Places and Curious Cuisine. <laughs> that's it. And it is, and some of the cuisine is very curious, but also delicious. <laughs> All right. Well, Karen, thank you so much for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. And we will be right back after this very short break. To become a sponsor of Food Farms and Chefs and have your business or event promoted on two radio stations in Philadelphia that play on Tuesdays during Drive Time Radio and on a station in New York on Fridays at 1 p.m., you can email us at foodfarmsandchefs at yahoo.com, ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com, or arpolicus at gmail.com. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. And I am very honored to have Yvonne Yang, who is one of the GMs of Takumi Bistro and Bar in Wayne, PA. Uh, Yvonne, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Hi, nice to meet you all. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got into the hospitality and restaurant industry? So um, I started my uh, hospitality industries, started from my college year, um, so I started my uh, in the restaurant industries at uh, New York, in New York City oh, nice. as a part-time uh, workers. So that's the first time that I when I started. Actually, right before that, I'm actually a uh, so my parents own the restaurants as well. Oh, nice! If you want, yes. do they still own the restaurants? 
Not anymore. So my parents owned a restaurant in upstate New York, Rochester. So that was back in actually that was back in high school. Oh wow! Um, yes. So you have a long history in this industry. Uh, pretty much. Uh, so I know you also have somebody that you've worked with uh, at a couple of different uh, or several different locations um, at different restaurants. What is it like, you know, bringing that compatibility and that history as, you know, co-workers and collaborative efforts towards opening restaurants like Takumi? Um, so I do. I have my there's multiple partnerships in 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 the corporations. Um, so what I actually ma- uh, focus on is the daily operations management. So I will help. So my partners, which is my boss, and he'll be handles all the renovations. Um, so a lot of jobs that's prior the restaurant's opening. So, and then I took take over the business before, a couple days before uh, operations. And then I hired people into the, um, into the restaurants and then getting work. So I have, I, I will find out the servers, the cooks, um, and also, you know, bartenders. So I will focus on those um, and also the financial in charge as well. So that's how the teams will work. And now I know when you guys took over that that location that you're currently at, um, you did something where a lot of restaurants and bars have, you know, a little bit of difficulty, you know, obtaining a liquor license. And you were able to transfer that liquor license so that you guys have a full bar menu. Uh, yes. So in Pennsylvania, it's very hard to transfer a license. It's actually taking a long time. So the whole process. Um, so luckily, we have our attorney were able to help me to find out a uh, potential license to be transferred. So we reach out to the sellers and offer them the prices. And then, and then they take over the deal. And after they take over the deal, and then we started doing the process of transferring, um, putting, submitting our documentations, um, schedule our um, interviews, uh, inspections, and then and then that's and then we move on to the final stage of uh, trans, uh, license transfer. Wow! So it does taking a long time. So, uh, but unfortunately, the business was open. Uh, without the liquor license at the first month. But you do have it now. So I'm sure that, you know, yes. you have different specials that you run and, um, you know, and, and and just I don't know if you have any pairings because I know that you are offering something that is truly, truly like just absolutely delicious. Um, anything that is sushi or, or like related to sushi, like obviously I am a foodie. I love sushi. Um, and and I know that you, you guys have opened up an establishment that is modernizing it. So how are you guys modernizing your menu? So the menus, um, this is actually the second, res- second sushi restaurant that I manage. 
from previous experiences uh, from Q Japan. I have another restaurant in Center City, um, downtown areas. It's called Q Japan. Uh, so most of the menus actually is transfer uh, from Q Japan. Uh, when I start up that restaurant, the menus actually I come up.、Um, so I come up something because I have a really long、uh, experiences with、uh, hospitality experiences. So I've been to so many、uh, restaurants already. So from my、uh, my point of view,、um, I'm actually come up a like dishes that I want to sell and the flavors that I want. So what I actually do when I hire the the chef, I told them that I want this flavor and I want this ingredient in the rolls, and then I want come up a good presentations. So I give them a red requirements, and then we come up a、uh, finalized、uh, dishes. But for this restaurant Takumi,、um, I'm actually elevate a lot of kitchen foods. Compared to Q、uh, Japan, just because I want to specialize,、um, not only specialize in sushi's,、uh, but also in the kitchen hot dishes too. So out there we have a lot of consumers who don't eat raw stuff.、Yeah. So that's why I want to elevate some of the cooked <clears throat> food and bringing some、uh, good ideas. So、uh, most of the foods in our Are in Takumi's menu. We, I'm actually combining, come up a random ideas and then combining some of the Eastern cultures and Western cultures. So some of the ingredients actually is more like Eastern、um, ingredients and also Western ingredient that actually comes out a pretty good combinations results. So so we, I'm really happy that you know sometimes it comes up a like. Things like truffles and ramens. So we have Japanese cultural、uh, culture, and also infused with truffle in there. Because in in Eastern cultures, we don't use a lot of truffles. So you know, and we tried it before we putting on the menus, and then when it's a good result, and then and then we finalize the menu. Yeah, and I know that you have. I don't. I didn't see it in like just in like a noodle dish, but I know that you have the truffles incorporated in your ramen.、Um, and immediately when I saw that on your menu, I was like, I want to try that. <laughs> That's something that like spoke to me. But so did your. I think it was the cream. The、um, creamy kimchi. The creamy kimchi udon. Yeah, that. Yes. Just jumped at me. <laughs> It is so that is one of our popular dishes in kitchen.、Um, it's 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 a it's it's a mixed cultures as well. So kimchi is、uh, it's more like Eastern food, and the creamy style it's more like pasta styles.、Uh, the dishes taste more、uh, rich. And also、uh, a little bit creamier texture,、uh, pretty similar to Italian pastas, but、um, the udons and the kimchi they actually comes up a good,、uh, pretty good combinations.、Uh, it's balanced out to it's it's balanced out、uh, the dishes in general、uh, because a lot of times that pasta it it does taste a little bit too、uh, too heavy and、yeah. too rich. So with the kimchi in there, 
it's actually will balance out because there's uh, acidity in in the kimchi and the spiciness in the kimchi. It's balanced out. The whole dishes. Yeah, and and I'm yeah. I've had um, a creamy like spicy dish before, um, and I and it was an interesting combination because it did balance out that that heaviness of the creaminess, um, mm-hmm. and it, it just kind of brightens the dish a little bit too, which is phenomenal. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, I definitely want to try that. Um, and just texturally too, with the the kimchi and the the udon, like you have you know something with a little bit of a crunch, with you know something silky, with something soft. Like I, I the complexity of that dish must be you know what draws people too. Yes, definitely. So, um, what are some of your other popular dishes? So our popular dishes, most most of them are uh, sushis. Our, we specialize our sushi uh, specialty rolls and also our sushi combinations. Uh, we have a lot of people here order the a la carte uh, serving as a sushi or sashimi. So uh, the sushi is this nigiri, what we call. Um, it's a piece of raw, raw fish on top of the sushi rice. So that that is a nigiri, but we do have our our customers. They enjoyed our specialty rolls. Um, for example, we have uh, sunset rolls. Uh, that is a a rolls with salmon. We have people enjoying the um, the real deal roll that has spicy crunch salmon with avocado, and on the top it's a toro, which is okay. bluefin tuna belly. Uh, and king salmon on the top, and then we put uh, osidra caviar on the top. So that actually is pretty good ingredients. Um, so they actually enjoyed it. We also have some of the other uh, specialty rolls that taste more like uh, more tropical f- flavors. We infuse a lot of like pineapples, mangoes, um, but. Of all the rolls, we definitely use the highest grades of ingredients. The sushi definitely has a great quality. Um, of the sushi sashimi combinations, we have a lot of people order our uh, bluefin paradise. Um, so it's a plate that has only bluefin tunas. So we're serving sushis on the plates and the sashimis on the plates and also definitely the toro special rolls on the plates. Um we also definitely have omakase sushi platter. So people, they can try the premium cuts of a sushi uh, with the toppings on the top and then with the toro scallion or shingo roll. So that's another popular dishes too. And I was going to actually bring that up because I saw that you offered that um, omakase. So I, for our listeners out there that don't know what it is, why don't, can you explain it? So for omakase actually is meaning uh, a typical omakase restaurant is where people coming to the restaurant and sitting on the bar in front of the chef and there's no uh, there's no prefix menus so people were not knowing that what kind of dishes that chef will be serving. So we're, so customers will just come into the restaurant, sitting in front of the bar, 
and the chef will be preparing the dishes and serving on their own. So they will decide all the dishes. Um, so basically, every day, the omakase menu should be different. Which is, I had a version of that with um, with a, an outing that that I had recently, and it's phenomenal to be able to experience that because it's a trust that you put in the chef. Like you, they know what they're doing. They they are extremely talented, and you have to trust. Yes, pretty much it. Um, I mean, omakase restaurants is is so the omakase dishes that we have, uh, it's a little bit different with uh, the regular omakase restaurants. Uh, so the omakase restaurants is because you come into the restaurant, right? You're sitting right there. They're serving pieces by pieces, dish to dishes. Um, so let's say if they have 15 courses of uh, dishes. There might be 10, piece, 10, 10 pieces of the nigiris and five pieces of some of the appetizers or, or desserts that consider one of the courses too. But our omakase dishes is a little bit different. So we it's it's a plate that we we choose for customers. It's also, it's a trust too. So chef will be selecting the best cuts of the fish of the today's menu. And then they put it into... The whole thing, they will put it into present as a big plate. So that is a little bit different uh, with omakase restaurants. Yes. But I call it omakase. It's because it's more, it's a little bit different um, to be to be able to differentiate it from other dishes that we have. Uh, and also because we use the good ingredients on that place and putting a uh, toppings on the, on the sushi nigiris too, bringing more different flavors. So that is the name of uh, omakase that we choose for this dishes. I get it. I understand. Now, you guys, I think, also offer even like an event space. Do you also offer catering? So we do. As a new business, we're trying to uh, extend our services field. Um, I would like to uh, increase more business uh, by getting more caterings. Um, it's either we can do takeouts or we can do offsite caterings. Uh, for offsite caterings, we can send our chef to the to the event location um, to to provide providing services. So, uh, for example, if there's a uh, wedding ceremonies, so what we can do, we can coordinate with um, banquet hall and providing a sushi presentations on the events. So we staffing for we send out our staff to the banquet hall and providing a services uh, and food. So that's what we're trying to expand. That sounds wonderful because, I mean, especially with the holidays coming up, everybody wants to have, like, because I feel like everyone's palates are more expanded these days. And so I'm sure that you're going to get a lot of uh, catering orders or um, and events that you're going to need to uh, supply sushi for. Sure, definitely. That's what we want to be. <laughs> so if somebody were to interested in hiring you guys or visiting your location, where can they find you online and in person? So either they can visit from our website uh, or you, they can send 
you, they can write an email to my uh, Takumi kop at gmail.com. So they can either email it to us or they can call the restaurants uh, uh, to, you know, to maybe reach out to me. Um, so I will definitely to coordinate the events. All right. Thank you so much, Yvonne, for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. And uh, I look forward to visiting Takumi and in, in Wayne very soon. Sure. I'm looking forward to meeting you here. <laughs> All right. Um, and with that, we are going to take a very short break. But stay right, stay on, and listen for Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you. No problem. Join us on Food Farms and Chefs Radio Show, where we highlight everyone from top industry leaders to startups and the farmers who make it all possible with co-hosts Jean Blum and Amaris Pollock with original episodes that debut every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on WWDB 97.5 HD2 and at wwdbam.com and on your smart speaker. All right, and welcome back. And we are leading into one of my favorite holidays because it's, I feel like a little bit of a celebration of me, but Halloween is coming up this this coming week. So we have our own Jean Blum, who has a little bit of history about Halloween and about celebrations. And then we're going to liaison into our favorite candies and things happening in the city. So, Jean, let us know. Well, welcome, everyone, and uh, happy Halloween season. And leading into the fall, it is, as you already know, it's one of my favorite seasons of the year. It's a season where we can all celebrate our inner goal and just have a lot of fun and, uh, hey, enjoy a dish of goulash here or there. Sorry, that was a bad joke. Um, <laughs> you know, Halloween ritual connections between food and dead and are just ancient and they cross so many cultures. You know, they began um, as pagan rituals and they became part of the Catholic religion with All Hallows Eve, All Souls Day, All Saints Day, and food and recipes evolved according to the local cultures and cuisine. You know, in ancient Egypt, the dead were buried with honey cakes to eat, um, you know, in the, in the, in the afterlife and, you know, the Halloween tradition, Sicilians welcome their dead with Cortuki and the two. And, and in Mexico, we celebrate, uh, Dia de los Muertos. <laughs> El Dia is, uh, de los Muertos. Thank you very much. <laughs> See, that's why I didn't get that A in Spanish. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's, it is, you know, a day that is really food laden and, uh, you know, altars are put together for, you know, the departed dining, which is a really, you know, kind of unique thing. And it crosses into many cultures. You know, the Asian tradition, they don't do it on Halloween, but they set place settings and things like that. But, you know, that the history of Halloween uh, is just so fun. You know, a lot of it is tied, the part of it is tied, you know, All Souls Day, All Saints Day. Uh, Halloween, as, as we know it, has a Celtic celebration, the celebration of the beginning of um, winter, it, you know, in Irish folklore, uh, so I mean, um, which is critical in, in pagan, you know, culture and, and pagan history. 
um, became very important. And then we tie in the Day of the Dead, which is pre-Columbian um, and its origins, you know, in the cults of the dead um, and peoples of central Mexico. You know, some really, really great foods came about from that. But, you know, today we celebrate this great marketing holiday uh, by giving candy and dressing up and things like that. But, you know, we began celebrating Halloween in the early 20th century really with food. You could find cookbook references. You could find really good things like that. And it was not until after World War II that, as we know, trick-or-treat today came about. You know, before that, it was all about food and it was all about you know, honoring our dead and honoring our roots and celebrating our saints and our holidays. You know, the Irish uh, was actually a day of fasting, um, you know, where they would, you know, basically eat cold cannon that was cooked over a fire and, you know, three-legged, uh, you know, pots, and they would have apple cake and, and something that was called uh, barbrack. Um, and then they would have apples and nuts that went with it. And, you know, they, that was their thing. And, you know, you found other places you would get, you know, in English, you would get the boxy pancakes were another Halloween favorite. Um, grated raw potatoes is what they were that were squeezed in a cloth and then, you know, baked with, uh, castor sugar and other things like that. They were not really tasty, but they had a nice sweetness to it. But these were the foods of that Halloween celebration that, you know, was way before, you know, we thought of what we typically do now and giving out candy and sweets and candy apples and things like that. Uh, you know, today we celebrate it in a whole different day. Um, but that is really because of, uh, you know, the marketing of it all and, and doing different things like that. But I encourage anybody to go out and do a little bit of research, find some old uh, Halloween candy recipes, you know, and, and do that. But, you know, one thing before I, I get into it, the idea of candy corn, which people either love or hate, we're a Philadelphia-based uh, podcast, so I want to give a little shout-out to the Wonderly Candy Company of Philadelphia who produced the first commercial candy cane, candy corn, I'm sorry, and it was done in the 1880s. Um, wow. You know, began doing that. So, you know, without Philadelphia, another first, which was candy corn. Now, you could like that or hate that, but it really is there. But just wishing everybody a very happy Halloween. And, uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about what's happening in our area to celebrate Halloween. Well, there's a lot going on. I mean, I feel like you can just throw a pin and find something happening because I, I feel like all the bars and restaurants kind of decorated up all of their their venues so that it's Halloween themed. So there's some something scary or spooky or fun um, across you know, across Philadelphia in, in any, whatever venue you want. And even right down to if they didn't decorate, there's probably some sort of like beverage or, you know, menu item that's a little Halloween themed because let's face it, it's very marketable and people love Halloween. People love holiday um, season. So we, we embrace it and we embrace it with a lot of love. But, um, 
I'm going to have to like give a big shout out to something that, you know, over time, time tested and just a continual annual event is the haunted, the haunted uh, Eastern State Penitentiary. It's literally haunted. So, you know, it's been documented on, on numerous TV shows, but Come Halloween, they dress up people, you, they they have you walk around, there's a tour. Um, so, you know, you follow along a line. And, and this year in particular, they did some interesting things where they actually made it so that there's little pockets of areas. So if you're hungry, if you want to listen to live music, um, there's like places where you can stop and actually like enjoy some music and have a beverage or have something to eat. And they, they, you know, they, you can choose if you want to be scared or not scared. Um, there's a little neon necklace that, you know, the, the ones that you crack open, like you crack and they kind of light up. Yeah. 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 They're fun. Uh, uh, yeah. So that's what you wear instead of a name tag or instead of a ticket? Well, you wear it. Okay, so if you walk through the Eastern um, State Penitentiary and you want to be scared, like, you you know, where it's more tactile, like, they, if you want them to be able to grab you and scare you, wear that necklace. Like, light it up and wear it. If you're not wearing it, I think that the rule is they're not allowed to follow you around and scare you as much and certainly not touch. Um, but yeah, I thought that was an interesting, um, twist for, for it this year. Cause I know for me, I don't get scared very easily. Actually, I usually irritate the, the employees because I will laugh and I'm like, Hey, what's up? <laughs> so I'm one of those people that probably needs to wear the necklace. Cause like you need to put effort, but, um, so there's that one. And then there's the Lincoln mill haunted house in Maniunk, which is, it's not a very long one, but it's, it's a lot of fun and it's interesting what they do, um, to renovate that space. Um, but there's also as once you exit, there is going to be food vendors and it's Maniunk. So, I mean, just, even if you walk down the street, you are inundated with numerous restaurants and bars and, you know, foods of any some sort that you might w- want to participate in. Um, in Delco, they have the Bates Motel. I, there's, you know, who who doesn't... One fun place. Been there many times. Fun place. <laughs> so, you know, there's that to look over, look, look forward to it, I should say. Um, if you have little kids, there's, you know... Uh, spooky themed, but it's not scary. Um, The Boo at the Zoo is happening at the Philadelphia Zoo, um, which is a lot of fun. I've been there. I've done it. It's interesting. Um, I mean, and you have to go see the fur babies that that live there. (laughs) So there's that. And then I know that they have some throughout the city. um, Evil Genius Beer Company does a lot of this. They'll have drag shows that are Halloween themed around this time. So always, you know, look up Evil Genius um, Beer Company to find out what they what they're offering and, you know, whether or not the drag, you know, what the theme of the drag show is. Um, And I and then there's actually a place called the Cauldron in Philadelphia that if you look it up. You can you know you can have a alcoholic beverage or a non-alcoholic beverage, so kids can go to this too. But you you basically are brewing up your own potion. Well, that sounds like fun. Yeah, I, I, I like that idea. I feel like it's a little bit like Harry Potter, like 
you know, and I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for plugging that, but for saying that word, but um, it's it's a little bit like that. Like you go and you you brew brew up your own potion with like hot chocolate or alcohol, what have you. They have a menu you choose. It's kind of like, it's interesting. I think you get a wand. Well, I know up in Bucks County, we have at Tranquility Brewing, we have their holiday party, which is Tranquility Brewing is located in an old secret military installation. So, and it holds the world's largest human centrifuge. And while no humans ever died in that centrifuge, I can't uh, <laughs> say as much for the monkeys or primates that were tested up there. I don't Ooh, have any that's proof the other. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the brewery itself is actually the primate lab or what's, you know, the building that holds that. And we don't often talk about that, but it, it is great history. And, and, and what takes it. So, you know, we often say when things go wrong in the building that that's just the, the spirits of the monkeys. And, <laughs> you know, the things that happen truly is the spirits of the monkeys. But, you know, we're having our own little celebration on Saturday with live music and uh, prizes for best couple and, and best individual and a lot of food specials. And, of course, you know, transfusion bags and uh, vampire serum bags for cocktails and uh, just a lot of other fun things. We have uh, the debut of our, um, you know, fall ciders and and our Oktoberfest just came out and our pumpkin ale that just came out. So a lot of good theme stuff going on there at Tranquility Brewing in Warminster, Pennsylvania. Um, and I know all the way up here too, you know, there are a number of other great you know, haunted attractions you can go to and, and do up in Doylestown. You can go through the Mercer Museum and, and do that. Um, Amherst, did you ever work in a building that was actually haunted? Um, I, I can't say that I have worked in a building that has been haunted, but I will say that I have lived in a, a house that has been haunted. I, uh, I worked at a venue. I worked at a couple of them, actually, that were haunted. One, um was uh, the Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology at the University of Penn. And and, uh, that was kind of an eerie place to go at night. And to be in, like you would be, you know, in my role, I was the last person on the floor, so I would make sure everything was closed up you know, when we were exiting and and you would have to turn out the lights and walk through the dark mummy room to the elevator. And uh, it was kind of an eerie, creepy thing. You know, you were walking through the room with all the mummies in it and the lights were out and there was very, very little light. You literally had to know where you were going. Um, it was kind of a creepy thing because the lights were in like one end of the hall mm. and the elevator was in another. And then, um, you know, that rumor had it that the real ghost that haunted the place was a night security person who passed away there many years ago. But I, you know, one way or the other. And I worked in a place up in Doylestown that was proved to be haunted too, Aldi Mansion. And, uh, you know, I used to always joke late night at events, uh, you would get to what they, what I called get the heck out feeling. Mm-hmm. And when you got to get the heck out feeling, you got the heck out. <laughs> um, because uh, that was that was really a, a interesting thing, and that was haunted by two spirits. Actually, um, the original or the owners of the home, Martha and her husband. Um, and what we discovered over time is that we always thought it was just Martha haunting it, but there were the two of them, and we discovered that Martha actually liked me, and her husband did not. 
So when you got to get the heck out feeling, it was him. And other times it was Martha. But she actually would, you know, kind of appear at events and greet guests and things like that. And we had a lot of really bizarre things happen in that building and during events. And we would have brides or brides-to-be that would walk in the building and say, oh, no, I can't get married here. This place is haunted. <laughs> and they knew nothing of the history. They just, as soon as they walked in, they sensed it. Yeah, that's uh, correct. So it, it was really, it was really, really, really creepy. It's, you know, kind of fun things to do. Like, you know, in Bucks County, we have another place that they call Gravity Hill. Gravity Hill sits in the middle of a cemetery. And while it's an optical illusion, to the best of my knowledge, <laughs> uh, being in the middle of a cemetery, you put your car in neutral and you get the sensation that your car goes back up a hill. Yeah. I've heard you know, I've like, heard that you you're supposed to like put powder like baby powder or something on your hood to like see the handprint. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's just a lot of uh fun things. In Bucks County here, you know, it's because of our revolutionary war history and things like that, there's a lot of really uh interesting places like that to go and and do things like that for Halloween because it's just so much fun. So, leading into Halloween, <laughs> of course, I have to ask Candy. Um, What's your favorite? I want to want real quick uh, plug a couple of uh, New York things, oh. which is the Halloween at New York uh, Botanical Garden, um, and they're Ooh. having a bale a bales and ales event. So I thought that was kind of fun, and you can also tour the catacombs of Basilica of St. Patrick's Old Cathedral, which is spooky and interesting. And there's also at their zoo, they're having a family-friendly um, pumpkin, having pumpkin nights. So there's pumpkins that are carved along on, along the way there. So I just wanted to plug that. But my favorite candy, um, definitely Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. I will, I as a kid would go back, change outfits and come, you know, go to the same house if I saw that they were handing them out. So what's yours? So I, I too, I, I love Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. I love Mallow Cups as well. It's just an old candy, you know, that, that um, you know, people don't get very often. And, I, and I'm a big retro candy person too. But, you know, I believe, uh, you know, our, our producer here will tell you that uh, Snickers bars are dead too, you know. Like I'm a big Snickers person. I, you know, if I have my choice, I'm going to go with that and, and Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. But, you know, I love chocolate licorice too it's like my big thing that and if you can go up into new england if you know what flying saucers are have you ever had flying saucers no so flying saucers are it's this very light airy almost like a a, a sweet dough kind of thing um i actually don't even know how they're made and then they're filled they look like a flying saucer and then they're filled with like little sweet candies inside. And, um, you know, it's a New England thing. And, you know, who, who knows Halloween and ghosts and spirits better than, you know, Salem and New England and that whole world. Exactly. Um, but, you know, I, I love those old uh, things, you know, those the old retro candies like that. Um, there's a place. Oh, wait. Uh, before you go into that, uh, we might have to continue this conversation privately because we are out of time, unfortunately. But oh, okay. thank you so much for all that information. Yep. I, I look forward to having more discussions about Halloween. Happy Halloween, everyone. And uh, enjoy 
the week leading into it and all the great celebrations and hoping to see some people up at Tranquility Brewing. There you go. Tune in every single week as we have brand new fresh episodes of Food Farms and Chefs. To listen to the rest of Food Farms and Chefs, tune your HD radio to 97.5 WPEN HD2 or stream live from WWDBAM.com.